Greetings, citizens. George Lowe here, voice of TV's beloved Space Ghost Coast to Coast. I'll see you at Sci-Fi Bartow. Look out, Bartow. Daddy's coming back. Sci-Fi Bartow. It's going to be February 20th, downtown Bartow. And the special guests that are beaming up are going to be Joel D. Winecoop, the king of the B-movies, Chuck Dixon, the Batman rider, our good friend Claire Davis, Bill Hatfield, and of course, don't forget Maria Saber of Gothic Sushi is going to be there live and in person. What else we got going on, Johnny? Do Sci-Fi Bar 2 is three blocks of fun. It is at 200 East Main Street. It'll be 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. It's a free event, Deuce. Totally free. Sci-Fi vendors, kids' activities, amusement area, costume contests, even pet costume contests, face painting, trivia games, live music, props from film and television, as well as an iconic movie car show. And our favorite character, karaoke. Big shout-out to Sean Sardinsky and Lois Lane of Sci-Fi Bartow. They're putting out this amazing event and Main Street Bartow. Remember, Deuce, this is February 20th, 2016. Don't forget to come see your boys live. The, the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce. And we'll see you February 20th at Sci-Fi, Sci-Fi Bartow. Bartow. My name is Johnny Womack, and of course, I got my main man, Deuce. What's going on, brother? Hey, man. Of course, this is the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce. We are a twice-weekly podcast dropping on Tuesdays and Fridays for your listening pleasure. And every single episode of the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce starts off with the Deuce salute. Yes, sir. That's what I'm talking about. Nice, nice. Good times, good times, good times. Of course, uh, Deuce, we love to have guests with us on the uh, Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce. We do, and I'm going to let you do the honors this time since I think I've done the last three or four. Yes, and of course, with us we have the amazingly talented, the guy's done it all, especially in the world of uh, professional wrestling. We have Mr. St. Laurent. Welcome to the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce, sir. Uh, thanks, guys. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, I, my question to you real quick, th- before we get into all your accolades, uh, I want to know, like, how long have you been into getting into wrestling? Is it a thing you were in your kid, or is it, like, something you got in later on in your life? Like, how long have you been a fan of professional wrestling? I was born in 83, so I, I started watching around 88, you know, the glory days of Hulk Hogan and, and Macho Man, Ultimate Warrior, that kind of stuff. And uh, I got out of it uh, probably around middle school age. I think a lot of people kind of grow out of it as they get a little older. Mm-hmm. And then when I was in high school and the NWO and, and all that hit, I was right back into it completely obsessed probably more than i had been as a child and um i did the exact thing that they tell you not to do when you're a kid and at 15 i dropped out of high school and ran away from home to go be a pro wrestler and never looked back and uh you know i'm 32 now i'll be 33 at the end of the month and this has been my my life ever since and uh i could have ended up homeless or dead Knock on wood, that didn't happen. I definitely would not recommend my path to anybody else, but I, I lucked out, I guess. Well, how does that work? How do you transition from being a fan and going into actual, like, your wrestling? Like, what, what, did you think that you had, like, the size for it? Like, because not everyone has, like, the, 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 you know, the look or the physique to be able to get into the, the sport. I definitely didn't think that I had the physique for it. I'd always been a good athlete. I had the height. I'm six foot three. Oh, that's pretty and, good. Six yeah, three is pretty good. <laughs> and and at the time, you know, I was probably, you know, I'm almost four hundred pounds now, but at the time in my younger days, I was probably around two seventy five. One of those kids they always try to get to to be on the football team, but 
I, I, I liked basketball and I just really wasn't tall enough uh, for my size, but uh, I never wanted to be a wrestler. You know, you talk to so many fans that they want to be a wrestler, and I think that's a common thing. I never wanted to be a wrestler. I always wanted to work behind the scenes as a promoter or a booker or a commentator. But at 15 years old, I'm sitting there thinking, like, uh, who is going to let a 15-year-old kid book their company? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know any other way how to get into the business other than just going to wrestling school and training to be a wrestler. So being a wrestler was almost my Trojan horse into the business uh, of having to tolerate the one aspect of the business that I really didn't like because I didn't know any other way to get in. Which and how hard was that at 15? Because I can't think you going and knocking on doors like, hey, I want to join your wrestling school. I'm 15. I have no money. I'm living on the street. Like how like how did that like pan out? Yeah, you're right. And, it's, uh, you know, if I had money, it yeah. wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been a problem. And yeah, yeah, yeah I, I came from a very wealthy family, uh, but they were completely against me being a wrestler. So when I took off, like, that's it. I was the black sheep cut out of the family kind of thing. So I had nothing. And I just I did have a friend that had a car and I was sleeping on his floor sometime. I was sleeping at the beach sometime. So his mom wouldn't get mad that I'd be there every night. And he just started taking me to any indie wrestling show we could find. And if the show was at 8 o'clock, we showed up at noon. Wow. And so that when the ring truck would show up, we would just beg and beg and beg. Would they let us set up the ring in exchange for getting to watch the show? Because I didn't yeah. even have money to buy a ticket. Yeah. yeah. You know? And at the time, I was in, living in South Florida. Uh, there was a wrestling company, Florida Championship Wrestling at the time. Not yeah. the WWE Developmental, but a different yeah. company. And they were running Indian reservations pretty much every week. And their heavyweight champion was Duke the Dumpster Drozzy, who had yep. been in WWE a few years before. Uh, he was the champion. It was his ring. And he had a wrestling school. And I'd say uh, maybe about after three or four months of me being at every show, working like a slave, with a smile on my face, and him knowing that I wanted to train, I think I got lucky. Something kind of got to a soft spot in his heart. And he said, you know, if you can get a ride down to the school, I won't charge you. You can train because I was kicking ass on this ring every week. So, yeah, yeah you know, at the time, this is late 90s. It was If this was the 70s, breaking into the business was a lot tougher. Uh, but in the 90s, if you had the money to pay to go to wrestling school, they would take anybody's money. That's yeah. just yeah. the business is that way now. Sure. And I say that as someone that has a wrestling school, uh, there are very few get turned away if they can afford to pay. Uh, but as someone that couldn't afford to pay, I, I owe a ton to the dumpster yeah. uh, because if, if he hadn't have found it in his heart to let me train and kind of look the other way that I couldn't afford to pay, I don't know where I would be. Well, I think that's for you and, and what you do now. I think that's really helped you because you know, not everyone can say that they've you know been in the ring literally. Like they, they know what it's like to be able to hit and compact, you know, combat with somebody and be able to like – you know, see how it works and the holds and, and everything like that. Because for me personally, where I geek out, and Deuce and I have been watching wrestling since we were, like, toddlers, like, forever. Yeah. Same story. We're, we're 33, so we're very close to your age. So, like, we're all from the same generation, so I understand that point of view. And, like, I remember watching, you know, Shock on Saturday Night. Like, I watched everything. And my dad, my dad was the one that got me into wrestling. And I remember him telling me stories about the – uh, was it the the Graham's uh, Sports Complex and all that over here in Florida? And I remember him telling me like he went and saw so many shows and everything there. And people like all the up and comers would come in. And when I was about, I'd say probably about seven or eight is when I really got into it. Like I, I watched it when I was like three or four, but I didn't really grasp it. And I remember 
all of a sudden just being a huge fan of technical wrestling. And that's when I realized I remembered all the moves and what they're called and what their names were. And, I, and then I realized there's multiple names for the same moves, like double or underhook and butterfly are essentially the same thing. So, like, I ended up becoming, like, a, a fan of the of the sport, of the actual, like, calling. And that's when, like, you know, play-by-play and, and all that, for me, is very important because I don't think there's a lot of really great play-by-plays in the industry today. And uh, so I became a fan of more of the technical aspects but when it comes to what you do vocally, like, like, where did you learn? What, what was your process like? I, I like you as a kid, I, I always was really into the names of the moves. I was in all sorts of nerdy stuff, uh, remembering every WWE champion that had ever been in order and, and names of moves, title histories, uh, remembering the card of every WrestleMania, that kind of stuff. Uh, so I, I, I was interested in, in, in being a broadcaster uh, and a lot of different aspects of the business, anything other than being the one getting punched in the face. And um, so the really the first chance I got to do commentary, I was wrestling in Orlando and there was a company that had television with Time Warner Cable. And the setup was sweet, man. Now, granted, I don't know if anyone was watching the show, but it was airing on Time Warner Cable's own sports network. And they would send out th- their trucks to come out and shoot this thing. You would have thought they were like shooting SmackDown. The the Really? What they were putting it put what they were putting into this. Now the the little rinky dink indie company didn't have two nickels to rub together, and the, the really the talent in terms of the wrestlers on the <laughs> was, roster eh. was as low class as it can get. Yeah. Uh, but Time Warner Cable on their end because they were responsible for the production. This was top of the line shit. Uh, and somebody asked me. They said they needed a commentator. Uh, and this was my first opportunity to be a commentator on television. And I had a few months earlier done some commentary for some like kind of homemade DVDs for a little independent company in Orlando. And my commentary partner, who had never done commentary before, so this is his first time. It's me and him huddled in my little college apartment, like literally just headsets plugged into a Dell computer. Uh, He is now known as Byron Saxton and is on Monday Night Raw every week. Wow. Wow. So I was actually the the one that taught Byron Saxton how to do commentary in terms of his very first time. And we just kind of hit it off and clicked. So when I got this TV opportunity, uh, I said, well, let's get Kate on. I mean, that was his name at the time. Uh, I, I worked with this guy a few months ago. We have a good rapport. Let's get him on. So out of nowhere, neither one, you know, three, four months before, neither one of us had ever done commentary in our life. And two young kids are, are suddenly now on TV doing commentary together. And fast forward, you know, however many years, I ended up being the commentator for Ring of Honor. He ended up being the commentator for Raw. What are the odds wow. of two random kids from the indies who basically taught each other how to do commentary? I, I think it's really cool how it's turned out. Now, do you consider yourself more of a play-by-play or a color guy now? I, I mean, for me personally, the the little bit of commentary that I do now, if sometimes I'll do some commentary for FIP, I think just because of the way I look, I, I've got to be teal color. You know, I'm a, I'm a an ogre looking type of guy. So, I, I you know, if it's some sort of visual medium, I, I don't really think I fit for play by play. I've done both. You know, like when I was working for Ring of Honor and FIP at the same time, and Dave Prezak and I were the commentators in FIP. Uh, he was a heel manager, so he had to do heel color. I would do play-by-play. And then in Ring of Honor, we did the exact opposite. Uh, so for me, I'm just as comfortable doing either one, but I, I think because of how I look, I just don't look like a play-by-play guy. So I haven't done play-by-play in, God, I quit Ring of Honor in maybe 2007, so it's been almost a decade since I've done play-by-play. 
Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because Byron is now the, with the whole shift, which I don't know how much you want to get into it, or how much you could talk about, but the shifting of comp, of broadcasting lately uh, of all the brands, like it's really changed a lot. And uh, you still you still follow the product, I assume, and everything like that. All the different because there's so many different divisions now. I've I've got to because for yeah. me, as someone who works as a host and an analyst and a consultant for so many different companies. I have to follow everything, whether whether I like it or not. No yeah. matter how bad the product gets, I'm I'm sitting there watching. I actually had a qu- one question for you: Was uh, Global Force Wrestling? Because I haven't had the chance to see any of that. Is is that something that uh, is still kind of you know they're kind of cutting their teeth still, or do you, you think that's something that uh, or do you have an opinion on on the product? No, I, I'm that actually because it hasn't aired yet. That I haven't seen. Right, I haven't uh, either. You know, and I have a lot of friends that have done the TV tapings, and I I would love for their sake. If the if the stuff ends up on TV, I don't know what's going on. They've been talking about it for so long at this point. I mean, uh, Jeff Jarrett quit TNA what two three years ago yeah, at this yep, point. Yep. I don't know if it's ever going to happen. It'd be nice if it did. I want everyone to have a job. Oh, um, absolutely. But but for me personally, as much as TNA was struggling, the idea that TNA would then s- split essentially into two, and now you would have TNA Light trying to make a go of it. Well, TNA was barely surviving. So how the hell is TNA Light? Uh, is gonna survive. And by the way, let me just ask: what what is, what is this show rated? I mean, you guys, you got oh, you can say Logan. fuck, you can do whatever you want. We're not man. we're yeah, not no. regulated. We're by not the regulated FCC. by the FCC. And okay. like where, it basically that's I'm most comfortable. Yeah, man, you can say whatever you want. This this podcast to be 110 percent honest is just a good way that I get to hang out with my buddy every week, and I get to write off all my beer and video games now because of the show Very and the smart. company. So yeah, I'm like but- shit because my CPA was like. Well, you know, if you and your buddy just start a podcast, you can write all this shit off. And I'm like, why are we doing that? Yep. That is a great idea. Yeah. So, God um, bless America. It right? is. <laughs> well, it's funny because I, I want to talk about the brands because I like having multiple brands because it, it sparks creativity, right? Because there's competition sparks creativity. And and then also I just like the – as Deuce and I being fans uh, of just of the brand and like I want to follow everything. That's yeah. just the way I am when it comes uh, Lucha Underground, Ring of Honor. You know, I've been watching Ring of Honor forever. Actually, now it's kind of funny. I didn't know at the time that you were the commentator for Ring of Honor because it was. It's funny because back here, I don't know about now, but like it was a hard to find. Like Ring of Honor was like on like a, a cable network, like at a different time in the morning. It was like a local cable network, yeah. like out of Tampa. Yeah, but it would only show it like at weird times. Like it'd either be like it's Saturday at like. 1 a.m. early Sunday morning or you might catch it like late on a Friday night or something it was weird it was almost like ECW was back in the day like if you got ECW in your local market because it was so like hardcore it was always on at some like really weird time even Fox Sports Net had it at one point like super late so it was it wasn't the easiest for me to find and back uh, and I didn't have cable either so I'd have to like go to a friend's house and try to find it you got to remember this is pre like YouTube and everything else because when we were starting to get a ring of honor this is like goodness gracious this probably was mid-2000s and it wasn't you know, it, it's not like it is today where if you want to find Ring of Honor, you can go on YouTube. You can find all these different places to go look for the product. But Not that we condone that. Go to your go to your networks and watch them <laughs> properly. Uh, but uh, but no, Ring of Honor is cool because like I think Ring of Honor has gone, you know, gone through a bunch of hurdles. And I think they've they've they have some amazing talent that's come out of Ring of Honor. And just for me, I, I love to see that because for me, I feel like Ring of Honor is like the. Almost like the whole heyday of like classic WCW in a way. Yeah. So like it, it kind of brings me back to my roots when I watch it because TNA kind of was, you know, TNA was kind of like, what was it? You know, uh, WWE's kind of like 
I don't know, not nemesis, but like their their competition in a way. And now that TNA went to Destination America, and they went to another, now they're, a pop now they're a in pop. a different, now yeah. they're another. It's like it's kind of hard to as a fan. It is kind of difficult to try to find what networks to watch wrestling, and that's why I appreciate. Uh, you know WWE. You know now they're all on USA Network now, and so it's easy to find. You have your set schedules, and as a fan, it's easier to follow that product than some of the other products. Um, and of course, you know with Lucha Underground only being like seasons, you know you have to wait, and not everyone has the L Ray Network. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that um, about finding the networks and finding well, the promotions and stuff. Well, when we were younger, uh, if you look at the emergence of WWE, um, they were on almost on the brink of bankruptcy, let's be honest. WCW is kicking their ass each and every week. And and cheap plug, Kevin Sullivan, the booker at the time. I do a podcast with him every Friday on MLWradio.com. And we actually review all of the Nitros in order and get him to tell us exactly what was going on and why he booked the things the way he did. And you look at that time, WWF almost out of business. People don't realize how close it was. And when Stone Cold gets hot and they start to recover – you sat there as a fan, and yeah, if you were in certain syndicated markets, you might get shocked on Saturday night. But for the main fan, you had Raw on Mondays, and that's it. Uh, you know, maybe some recap shows on the weekends in the morning. There was a need for more wrestling. And when they added Sunday Night Heat, if you look at the ratings of Sunday Night Heat, they blow away what Raw does now. They Sunday Night Heat used to double or triple what Raw does now. So there was this desire for more wrestling, more wrestling. You found ECW searching through the channels. You, you couldn't. There wasn't enough to satiate your your appetite. And now I really feel like it's the complete opposite because if you watch Raw for three hours now, and SmackDown for two, two hours, hours, which didn't exist back then, uh, and then Total Divas or NXT or all this different stuff on the network. I don't think there's any wrestling fan out there sitting there going, oh, man, I need more wrestling. If anything, they're saying, please, God, help me. I want less. Would you trim these shows down a little bit? Can we go back to two hours on Monday? And so that is what has really hurt a promotion like TNA, a promotion like Lucha Underground, another cheap plug, Lucha Underground. Conan does a podcast, MLWRadio.com, each and every week. Um, And I think it's a total different stratosphere now if you're trying to break in as a, an alternative product i don't think the average fan is sitting there seeking out more wrestling because there's so much and and when we were growing up we wanted more we were always searching for something it didn't matter what it was maybe some indie company left a flyer on our car whatever the case may be but now i think wwe gives you so much i think the average fan they're not looking for more and if you're trying to create an alternative brand now whether you're ring of honor or anything else that to me is their biggest struggle. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I agree. And I also think, you know, someone like us, they grew up wanting, I see, I still have that urge and that desire. Uh, like I watch everything on the network. I, you know, I, I go and I watch, uh, cause I'm a cable cutter. So I have Hulu plus. So Hulu plus is a great way to kind of get recaptured on, uh, uh, recapped on uh, raw and SmackDown. And they have the, the Saturday night main event and all that stuff. Uh, and uh, superstars, or whatever they have, all that you can watch. And then, of course, I watch Ring of Honor at a friend's house, and I have like, I don't, I just, I try to catch everything I can. And so, for someone like me that's always done that, try to hunt, I feel like, oh man, I, I actually, I love everything that they're doing right now. I think the WWE Network was one of the smartest things that WWE had to do. I know it was risky, I know it was difficult, uh, but uh, just because of the way we consume media has changed, you know, subscription-based products like spotify and all that like people are doing that more often than ever and also wdb network is a great 
uh, a great service too because it's a great catalog of past uh, past events and past shows. Mm-hmm. And like I actually went down and I've been watching all of uh, 98 uh, Raw from 98 and SmackDown all the way up to now. And I've been able to see kind of like how they were doing things with the business at the time. The way and it's not just the Attitude Era, but it was more of like just how they did pr- how they would do slow burns and how they'd really build up matches and how you'd have a two three month feud it wouldn't just be like a 30 day feud before a pay-per-view like it is now like they've really changed the you know the dynamic and and having having that competition with wcw really sparked that and the rise of the cruiserweight the flight of the cruiserweights amazing what they did bringing people from japan and, and canada and mexico and all these different uh circuits bringing them over in and i like i could talk about this on blue in the face Deuce and I are, like I was saying, like, you're talking to Uber fans just like yourself. Like, this is what yeah. we just do all the time. We talk about wrestling all the time. And it's great to talk to someone that's been in the industry. And that's that's why we're really fascinated to talk to you. Like, you know all these people, and you've you've worked your ass off to get to where you are now. And it's really, we really appreciate being able to talk to you and and uh, and to see your passion as well. Because it's, it's great when you get like minds together because you could talk about whatever it's well, yeah, and that's been that's been one of the great things about the podcast for me you know i was someone that when i'm breaking into the business and just to give you a little bit of the background of my family mm-hmm. my family's from canada i had a grandfather that was a member of parliament my great-grandfather was the prime minister but going even further back i'm direct descendant of the original saint laurent and if you know the story of saint laurent uh back when the romans were killing all of the christians uh, St. Laurent was told to gather all of the riches and jewels and secrets, any sort of secret text, anything valuable from the church. The Romans are burning everything, and the Romans told him, gather all of your, your riches and all of your prized possessions of the church and hand them over. And they gave him a week or three days, whatever they gave him. And I'll speed the story up. But I think this is interesting. And when the deadline is up and the Romans go to Lawrence of Rome and they say, you know, get, hand everything over— He shows them the meek, the poor, the lowest of the low, and he says, uh, these are the riches and the the treasures of the church. And basically he refuses to hand over the secrets uh, and the holy grail and all these things that the Romans were trying to get their hands on. And he gave them away so that they could be passed on for generations so that everything would survive. Uh, And to punish them, they they roasted them on an open fire and they killed them and but knowing that that's my background and always being fascinated by that story, when I came into pro wrestling, my approach was, listen, this used to be like a secret art, and now this business is kind of dying, but the secrets are still out there. Uh, and as silly as it may sound, I thought to myself, well, if my relative, however many hundreds or thousands of years ago, thought to preserve this knowledge, I want to do that. And I sought out any of the great minds in the history of wrestling. Uh, whether it's Pat Patterson, who I just had a great lunch with for several hours over the weekend right before he flew up to Orlando for the Rumble, or Kevin Sullivan, who I do my podcast with. I do a podcast every week with Jim Cornette every Thursday on MLWRadio.com, or Larry Zabisco, who was my tag team partner for many years. And I know I'm name-dropping here, but the purpose of the story is as a child, I made the active decision of to do whatever it takes to find these people and do whatever it takes to get them to teach me. Because when these guys die off, whether it's a Jim Ross, whether it's a Jim Cornette, whether it's a Larry Zabisco, whether it's Kevin Sullivan, whether it's a Pat Patterson, uh, they, they know so much about how you draw money and what makes wrestling great that those secrets will be lost forever. And I know people say the business has been exposed and kayfabe is dead, but the one thing that hasn't been exposed is the true art of matchmaking 
and how you draw money. Yeah, you can go on YouTube and learn how to do a pile driver, uh, but you can't necessarily learn how to properly book a feud and how to draw money. And so I thought to myself, okay, well, I've done this so long. At this point, like, I almost feel like my time in the business maybe is coming to a close. So I had all these relationships, and I'm like, fuck it. Why don't I just start recording our conversations and posting them on the Internet? Because I was talking to these guys anyways. And that's really, to me, the beauty of the podcast now and so many wrestlers doing these podcasts is you might have a guy, let's say a Ric Flair, who now because of his podcast, whatever secrets he wants to reveal, and maybe he wants to keep them to his grave, but he now has a way to get that information out there if he wants to preserve not just the history of the business, uh, but the art of, of how you draw money. So I think it's a beautiful thing what we have now in terms of wrestling podcasts getting as big as they've gotten because a lot of this knowledge would have died off, and it, it really would have been a shame to lose it. Well, I got to say, brother, number one, you're doing the Lord's work, man, because you you hit the nail on the head. Like, these guys are going to pass away, and if we don't get the knowledge, especially in the digital age now that we can record it with podcasts, and, you know, it's so easy to record things and put them on the Internet so everybody has access to them. If we don't store this knowledge in some way, bookmark it and archive it, it's going to be lost forever. So, I mean – Brother, number one, I commend you, and I appreciate it that you're doing this. Um, and, and I'll I be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. In a way, it's depressing. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. Like, the ultimate warrior who was a friend of mine yeah. who had not given his side of the story in decades, and I prodded and prodded and prodded, and I got him to sit down and do a two-hour interview for MLW Radio to give his entire side of the story for everything that went down between him and Vince McMahon. If I didn't get him to do that, now that lives on forever. Yeah. No matter how they want to rewrite history, well, you know, because winners get to write history, yeah. no matter what they want to do, his side of the story, his heart and soul, what drove him, what motivated him, his innermost thoughts, that's preserved for life now. Uh, and, and you know, it, it's, it's sad when we lose these guys. Yeah. But to me, what would be even sadder is if the things they had to say didn't get a chance to live on. Yeah. No, and I agree 110% because just knowing that there's <clears> – excuse me – just knowing there's a place where you can go and, like, listen to that and hear his side of the story is great because you just hit another nail on the head. Uh, you know, history is written by the winners, and if he hadn't told his side of the story, we would always have this revisionist history of what happened. And now, because you were good enough and nice enough to actually get that out there to the masses, we can all hear it and know that what really happened, or at least his side of what really happened. And the thing is, you know, Ultimate Warrior is a guy who had a reputation for for being a nut, for being an eccentric. WWE had painted him as crazy for so many years. And he was anything but. He was a man of principle. He was a man of high intelligence. Uh, and I think sometimes in this day and age, especially when we live in the soundbite era, we live in the era of Twitter where you only have 140 characters. If you have a way of thinking that is maybe different from what's accepted right now as the norm, you can't really necessarily get that point across in 140 characters if you're a nuanced, deep thinker. And the podcast is perfect for that. Yeah. Now, guys, you know, we didn't necessarily have a way before to talk for an hour if you wanted to attack a serious issue and, and, and tackle it head on and give your side of the story. So the medium's been great. Uh, what you guys have been doing has been great. I've been listening to it on Tuesdays and Fridays. And the other thing that's awesome, too, about the podcast revolution is so many forms of entertainment that maybe were a niche before yeah. that you couldn't find information on. You know, maybe you really like to paint uh, ancient Civil War figurines. I'm sure there's a podcast yeah. for it now. There really uh, is, yeah. It's really bringing people together.
Yeah, it's interesting. Um, we're going to take a small break, <clears throat> and we'll be right back with the happy hour with Johnny and Deuce. Being manic does a lot of things, making me mental. 99 problems and resolving them all could be so simple. Yeah, I don't have the intellectual slack or fundamental. Fires in my raps, yeah, my voice is so instrumental. My rap style's explosive, my mind is so corrosive. Yeah, it can be a shock and my emotions are explosive. Truly a mess, such a lyrical mess. And I don't need the water, let them know I'm the best. Cause there's many ways I tend to use side. Watch these kids, boo. Cause I'm such a supreme guy. True tricks off the kids and how they this episode of the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce is brought to you by RetroGameTreasure.com. These boxes are handcrafted to your playstyle and sent to your home, and they start as low as twenty nine ninety nine. Tell them about the boxes they can get, Johnny. They can get anywhere from three to five games a month from the Super Nintendo, the Nintendo, the Nintendo sixty four, Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance, Sega Genesis. You know they have it all with Retro Game Treasure. And Deuce is a custom box. They handpick things that you like. They have an amazing website. You put on what you have, put on what you like, put on the genres that you want. They send it to you, custom hand box straight to your door. And of course, they never send you any duplicates. And they always ship on the 22nd of every month so you know they're on time just for you. And it's so easy to order, Deuce. What is the website? The website is RetroGameTreasure.com. And don't forget to tell them that the Happy, Happy Hour with, with Johnny and Deuce, Deuce sent you. Notice what y'all simply grotesque That gamer hip-hop shit That's soon to be the best I'm never high earthbound The episode I must address I hope my mic is well compressed Told me I'll run back That lyrical nest Life of a gamer Plus a silent entertainer Mash your buttons Watch what I press Leaving them as on the compression Now you know why I am the best Bow, bow You're rocking with the best And that's Ness And that's a new record And that's a new record and we're back with the happy hour with Johnny and Deuce. I'm Johnny. And I'm Deuce. And of course, this is the happy hour with Johnny and Deuce. And we have our good friend, Mr. St. Laurent. And uh, I had a question for you because, you know, you were in the industry learning the ropes literally and as well as outside the ropes figuratively. And I want to know, like, what your thoughts are on broadcasting because there's now more than ever, like you said earlier, there's more jobs that are offered because before you only had a couple brands that were really big, and unless you're in the independent circuit, so now there's you know even more commentaries and a lot of a lot of shows have adapted the three man booth as opposed to to the two man booth. Uh, do you have any favorite commentators? Anyone that you really dig, or any shows that you uh, have a favorite broadcast? Yeah, you know, it's unfortunate that in WWE for however many years, and listen, he might be the nicest guy in the world. He might have been the greatest Iraqi war correspondent in 1992 that ever lived. Uh, but Michael Cole to me was never a good fit as the lead announcer for WWE. And as we transitioned from Jim Ross to Michael Cole, I think the product took a huge hit. Yeah. Uh, and I'm the kind of guy that says, listen, if someone's not a good fit for something, I don't blame that guy. I blame the guy that gave him the spot. Okay, you know, like I had an argument with Jim Cornette recently where he was ranting and raving about Vince Russo and how Vince Russo didn't know the business. Uh, and I say, okay, well, we'll blame Vince McMahon because if, if Vince McMahon was the one that hired some video store clerk that didn't know shit about wrestling, don't blame the video store clerk. Uh, so when I look at WWE announcing and you see the way it's really fallen apart over the years in the Michael Cole era, uh, it used to be that the announcer was a trusted voice 
that really you lived and died by what he said. You liked and, and disliked guys based on the way that the announcer reacted to them, whether it's a, a Gordon Soley or a Lance Russell or a Jim Ross, these great play-by-play guys that we've had through history. We don't have that right now. Nobody trolls, tr- trusts Michael Cole. They had Michael Cole go heel. They had him wrestling as a heel wrestler. And that's supposed to be the trusted voice of the company and the bickering with him and JBL and not paying attention to the matches. Listen, and I'm not blaming those guys. They've been put in those spots. I blame the people that put them there. But I think the art of announcing in pro wrestling has really fallen apart. And to me, it was a huge relief when I found out they were bringing in Moro Ronello, who to me is an incredible play-by-play yeah, guy. Love it. Uh, when I, I was fortunate enough to spend some time with him when he was the commentator for Strike Force MMA on Showtime. I was shooting a reality for a uh, show for Strike Force about Frank Shamrock and, and, and spent some time with Moro. And just to see the way he prepares for the shoot and, and just to see him in action, I think he's one of the best, uh, whether it's on Showtime Boxing or anything else. I was shocked that they brought him in, uh, but I thought that was a great move. I would love to see him end up with that spot on Raw someday. I don't know if it'll happen. I don't even know if it would fit his schedule. Uh, but I would like to see a, a trusted fight broadcaster that can make you feel like you're watching a great fight, and I just don't think Michael Cole's that guy. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. I, a big shout out to uh, Matt Fowler. I don't know if you know this guy. He's a he's a writer for IGN um, and uh, IGN.com, and he's a huge wrestling fan. He also covers all like television in general, and uh, he's he has a, a meme that he created about ten years ago, uh, and he and it's kind of like you probably seen the signs. It's G D Y M C, and people it's you know G D U Michael Cole, right? And so like he he started this thing where you know he never liked Michael Cole from the beginning, and now it's kind of like this thing that spread in all the arenas throughout the uh, throughout you know throughout the U S. People will tweet him pictures, you know, because they were following you know his his words or whatever. And there's a huge people, I think, big group of people out there that are in the same agreement you are, and I'm one of them. I think, and let's give a little bit of history here because we love history here uh, on the Happy Hour. Let, the main reason Michael Cole got his jump, and this is because I was rewatching um, the network throughout '98 on back in '90, end of '98, early '99. Um, uh, Jim Ross had his second bout with Bell's palsy, yep. and he was gone for months. You know, and you weren't sure why. You just they would say, "Oh, well, he's you know he had a family emergency and he's recovering," and they wouldn't really tell you why. And it wasn't until uh, August of '99 that he came back, uh, you know, off and on. Because remember, he had that bout where he was with Doctor Death, Steve Williams, right? He came back with him and all that, and there was that weird like on and off. He'd only come in for a couple matches, and then he'd come back and forth. And Michael Cole, like he, this is when JR was getting hurt in the ring or whatever, and like he, it was this weird kind of like. I didn't like how they did all that, but like he got. But the, the nice thing is, it got him back in the seat again. But Michael Cole was more of like the backstage guy. He was doing interviews, you know, and all that stuff. And I felt like, and he still went on to do that later on. But I love the two man booth. I love a heel Jerry King Lawler. I love that. I love his dichotomy. There's dichotomy there, and of course, you know, Jr. You know, he was doing play by play, and he's from Oklahoma, and like so he has that background. He did stuff with WCW, him, Tony Schiavone, and all. Like he had a history there, a pedigree, if you will, of being able to talk. And and I was it the Clash of Champions way back in the day. Like he was one of the one of the first the, the first Clash of Champions. I think he was on there, and him and Tony Schiavone were both play by play guys. And it was fascinating to hear. You know, I, I had to research it later on, but it was fascinating for me to hear like two by pl- two play by play guys go through and like how Tony would kind of lead them in and out of breaks and whatnot. And you know, it's fascinating. But like now we have a three man booth. You talk about 
earlier Cole and JBL talking over each other. I feel like that that's happened a lot with the three man booths throughout the the last few years. And I think with I think it's a breath of fresh air with Morrow coming in because like I feel like he, you know, he's doing, dude. He's calling. He's this is where the technical fanboy geeked out. Just two two Smackdowns ago, he's calling the electric chair. I'm like, dude, when's the last time you heard the electric chair on WWE commentary? That's a basic move. It's a setup on the shoulders, but like he's talking about that. He's calling about the side press, the lateral press. Like, I'm like, dude, he's calling stuff that I like the, the, the fanboy in me was geeking out. You know, I mean, I, I was like, you know, exploder suplex is obviously com- is a variation of the T-bone suplex made famous by Taz or whatever. But like, this is history that I know that he's bringing it out. I'm like, I'm not the only one that likes this, right? I was, I was really digging. I was really fanboying over it because I, I, I love the technical root moves being called out. And uh, it's just really refreshing. And I love that Jay, uh, uh, Jerry the King Lawler is now heel. Like, I was like, what? You mean he's heel now and you've got Morrow and it's play-by-play? Like, it's really cool. Like, I actually like SmackDown's broadcast better than Raw's. And SmackDown is always, you and, know. And it goes to show the huge impact that the broadcasting can have on the enjoyment of the show. Yeah. I agree, and I, I always, for a long time, it was like SmackDown was like the B-Squad. Like, all right, you know, it's the, the inferior product, blah, blah, blah. They cut out all the, that's not drafts. So you don't have any brand recognition. There's no real reason why you have, like, SmackDown would spend, like, 30 to 45 minutes reviewing, recapping Raw, and, like, it would take in all the spots. And But now it's like, I feel like ever since they did that Super SmackDown Live uh, a month ago, like, it's kind of reinvigorated the whole brand. I, I really, I've really enjoyed SmackDown for the first time in months. Yeah, it's been it's been a huge improvement, and uh, I you have no idea how happy I was when I found out they were getting Morrow. Now, in, in terms of the two man booth versus the three man booth, I I don't think that one is necessarily inherently better than the other. It depends on the dynamic. To me, what's the easiest thing to do is you have your your straight man play by play, and you have your former wrestler asshole heel commentator. That is a successful formula. Now, there's more than one way to skin a cat. So instead of having that formula. If you wanted to, you could have the three-man formula, which is different. To me, the three-man formula for that to work, you've still got just your straight-laced play-by-play guy. Now, especially if you're doing a company that's maybe got some international talent, the way WCW would have Mike Snake kind of as the expert, you have the guy almost in like the nerd historian. Maybe he's a former or current journalist or a newspaper writer. He kind of fills in uh, that, that archivist historian role. And then the third role, who does can be a heel or can be a babyface, is the older legend wrestler who maybe isn't necessarily a great natural commentator, but because you've gone to the three-man booth, he doesn't have to carry as much as of the load. Uh, maybe you've decided, oh, we would love to have, just as an example, Ric Flair, because he's a legend. It's a face people know. All these generations love him. Uh, so that is the psychology behind the three-man booth. You, and what you've seen in WWE, if you look at the roles, you got Michael Cole as the straight-laced play-by-play guy, which is fine. He's in the right role. The only problem is nobody believes in him. You've got JBL, who if you're doing the three-man booth, that third guy really should be like a legendary older wrestler. And to me, JBL's too young for that role and was never a big enough star. So he doesn't fit. And then Byron Saxton, who nothing against him. Uh, and as you guys know, I've been friends with him since 2002. I love the guy. The audience isn't going to think of him as like the grizzled uh, newspaper reporter or the expert uh, international renowned uh, wrestling historian. So it's the three-man booth they've come up with makes no sense based on any classical definition of any broadcasting team there's ever been in any sport. So what the fuck are they doing? You're preaching to the choir, man. Like I, 
I think with with Raw because think about Raw back, or just just WWE programming back in the day. They they the great commentators is what you said. Even people forget. You know, the younger crowd listening forgets Vince McMahon was on the mic. You know, he was broadcasting for a while, and, you know, he did stuff with Gorilla Monsoon. Like, he, you know, Gorilla Monsoon, rest in peace. Rest in peace. So, like, he was on there doing things. And, like, uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan, oh, my gosh. Like, who was one of the best heel, in my personal opinion, besides Jerry, one of the best heel, like, broadcasters ever. Bobby the Brain Heenan, him, that 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 trio you have with Mike Tanay and Larry Zabisco, like, and uh, Tony Schiavone, they you know they off after the hour goes over or whatever. Uh, really, really cool stuff between those three, and, I, and that's where I really enjoyed the three man was in WCW when they had that three man booth going, and, and they just were feeding off each other. And Tony was actually a decent. Tony could do both, I think, pretty well. I think he could color commentate and do play by play, which not a lot of people could do. And like he would call moves, and he you know he was. I remember back in the day when uh, Shawn Michaels was doing the super kick a lot, and that was his finisher. He was the one that would differentiate between a standing sidekick and a. I know this is really like nerding out here, but like I, my personal opinion, I feel like only Shawn Michaels has really perfected the standing sidekick, what you call the super kick, and everyone else, like the Dolph Ziggler, like everyone's doing st- super quote unquote super kicks now. That's like a pet peeve of mine. Like you've got the the Usos, you've got uh, Rusev, and you've got uh, Dolph Ziggler, and everyone's doing super kicks now, and they don't have the same impact, the same feeling, and uh, that's why I actually really. Love him or hate him now, James Storm. I actually really like James Storm because, like his his super kick was like a super kick. Like you know, he had that full extension. He built it up. But now a, a super kick is just like a regular move. And I think Stone Cold on his podcast kind of hit on you know how moves if they don't really work, why do you continue to do them? You know, like they look pretty, but you know, Cena doing the uh, the springboard stunner, like it doesn't it doesn't look very good. It doesn't. I don't know. Like. Well, the business of false. I mean, let's yeah, be honest. Sure. If this was 1933, the Cornish hype would be a finisher. Yeah. It's 2016. Sure. Not only is it not a finisher, you guys probably don't even know what the fuck it is. Yep. <laughs> I do. It's cool. I got you. Okay. So I got there you, you go. I'm, yeah. and I'm, but that would not get over as a finisher in 2016. Yeah. So what we've seen happen to the super kick is essentially what happened to the DDT, you know, the, genera- the generation previous. Uh, moves, if they're not protected – the kind of the credibility just kind of falls apart. And that, that that's the way it's always been. I don't think it's necessarily a good or a bad thing because as the athletes evolve, uh, they become capable of things that are maybe more impressive than what a super kick was in 1993. So I don't have a problem with that. What I do have a problem with is you, you have some companies where for one guy, the super kick is one of his big moves, but there's eight other guys that do it. Uh, and not necessarily in WWE, but in, in companies all around the country. So I, I do think in the company, there does need to be a psychology of, wait a second, does this move beat people or not? Yeah, no, actually, I had that happen with uh, somebody I knew at an indie event. I guess him and another guy kind of got into it before the event, and the the guy that he got into it was finisher was basically the RKO. So what he did, because he was on before the other guy, is he went out there and he did like 10 of them. Like every time he turned around, he just did an RKO and the guy would get like right back up. Like it wouldn't do anything. So then when the the big main event guy who he had gotten in a fight with earlier went, did his match, he ends with RKO. Everybody's like, what the shit? We just saw that other guy do it 10 times and the guy popped right back up. So. Well, and I think guys popping right back up is a problem in the business in general. And I don't want to sound like some old timer because I'm not that old. I'm still only 32. this is my 18th year in the business now, so yeah. maybe I sound like a grumpy old guy. I'm trying not to be. But whether, you know, even when I would do commentary for Ring of Honor, I would see these incredible matches. I'm getting to watch 
Daniel Bryan and Kenta and Marafuji and Samoa Joe, the best of the best. Uh, but they're doing so much. They're doing so much. And I do think for a nerd audience, and I don't say nerd as any sort of insult. I consider yeah. myself a nerd. For the nerd audience who has seen everything, who has watched so many thousands of hour wrestling that is so desensitized, uh, then maybe it makes sense that you have to go to that extreme. I'm sure there's some guy out there that watches a ton of porn, and so if it's not anal, this and that, or whatever, uh, he's not going to be interested. So <laughs> that, to me, is what's happened with the, the, the nerd crowd. But I think to the average audience, to the average audience, they need time to digest what they're watching. And if you hit some big move and the guy pops right back up, I think to the average audience, they just go, oh, this shit's phony, and they change the channel. And I, I think it's a big problem in the business. Well, it's interesting because JR touched on that. Jim Ross touched on that on his uh, he has a website, JJ, uh, jrbarbecue.com. And I remember on his blog on there, he said the same, equivalently the same thing. And he's like, but yeah, sometimes you got to let the match breathe, you know, because sometimes I, one of the b things I loved back in the day was when two performers, well, wrestlers, you know, superstars now, uh, whatever you want to use, uh, is when like they would both hit each other or they'd do a double clothesline and they would be out and like they'd be on the ground and like just the crowd, the energy that was there, you know, who's going to get to their feet next? Like who's going to get up and have the momentum after all? They're expending all of their energy. And, like I would get goosebumps just like get up, get up, get up, you know, like as I mean, I we call it nerding. I'm nerding out right now, but like it's just so exciting to see that type of moment. And that's why I really like Dolph Ziggler. Love him or hate him. The guy is so full of energy. Like I don't I think that's something that's lacking in the in the business, my personal opinion. There's not a lot of high energy guys anymore. It's very just like, all right, I'm gonna come out, be a badass, do my thing. And that's why I love Neville and all these other people they're bringing in, AJ Styles, bringing all these people that are in, in the WWE, bringing them in and kind of give them kind of like a you know, a facelift, if you will, because that's one of the things I, I flipped to WCW for. I wasn't flipping to WCW for the performances, I was, or about you know for the presentation. I was I was flipping to WCW for the for the in ring action. Like, look at all these guys doing these amazing planches and all this stuff. I had to learn this stuff because I didn't know what these were called. And Mike Tanay helped me learn. Like he's sitting here going, I remember I, I never forget this. 1996 Bash to the Beach obviously is very famous for you know the the Hulk Hogan uh, NWO thing, but. I remember that was Psychosis, uh, the Psychosis and 619. I'm getting a brain fart here. Ray Mysterio. Mysterio. And Ray Mysterio, they had a match. And I remember Mike Tanay was joined in for that match because, you know, he's, he's been, you know, learning the moves around the world in Japan and Mexico and all that stuff. And I remember they were talking about uh, a somersault plancha. And I remember Mike, I remember uh, Tony Schiavone going, what? What are you talking about? Like, even they, were, they were learning. And that, and that felt like me as an audience. I was learning from Mike Tanay. Like, he was showing me all these different moves and what a Hurricane Rana was and, like, spinning heads to just take over, like, no one was really calling these moves, and but you didn't see it because all the other you know pro wrestling was big guys, right? That's what main man was hiring the big, strong bodybuilder guys, the Lex Luger's, and all those people. And it was like WCW was bringing in these guys as high flyers, the lucha libre style. Like it was very like a breath of fresh air for me. And when I see you know like the rise, the rise of Neville and the rise of. Uh, um, Kalisto and all these people bringing in it's like a breath of fresh air for me because it reminds me of the back of the heydays of WCW when you had all these amazing cruiserweights so I I'm just wish that I just wish they had a cruiserweight championship so that you know if you look at the Royal Rumble uh, and, and nothing against AJ Styles I'm a huge fan of his and he got a, an incredible reaction when he came out and he's doing great and then he's standing face to face with Roman Reigns and he looks like a child now, listen, that's nothing against him because Floyd Mayweather just made $300 million last year for one fucking fight against Manny Pacquiao. And if you put him in the ring with Tyson Fury, he'd look like a child, too. 
so to not let these guys go in with guys their own size that can work their style and, and have a goal to achieve to be the world champion of their weight class, I, I think if you're going to bring these guys in, it makes no sense to bring these guys in and not give them their own division. And especially as much TV time as they have to fill now, as many shows as they have now, call it a, whether you call it cruiserweight, light heavy, whatever you want to call it, I, I really think they desperately, desperately need to create a division for the lower weight guys to let them go out there and do their thing because right now what are you supposed to do with AJ Styles? I mean Chris Jericho That's a good point. Yeah. made AJ Styles look like a child. Uh and and so it's nothing against AJ. He, AJ he's incredibly talented. But so is Chocolatito uh, uh and and he's 112 pounds as the WBC boxing champion. Uh, if I put him in there, even with a middleweight, he's going to look like a midget. So I, I just think it's very unfair to those guys who are so incredibly talented to not be given their own domain, their own little uh, sandbox to go in there and kick ass. Well, it also gives mid-carters more of a fight, too, because like, you can get people in that aren't necessarily going for the you know battling, battling John Cena every week. You're actually getting people more of a push. Like I think that was what, what was so weird to me, and I want to get your thoughts on this, was how WWE kind of just – Swallowed up WCW, like there's no more, no more world, you know, world championship wrestling title that's gone, and like the, the European, I, I broke my heart when the European championship went away because Regal and all those guys that that were just amazing, you know, European champions, like all gone, like you know, Triple H and all them that won the championship. There's a lot of pedigree there uh, uh, with the European championship, and I remember that just gone, and how Ric Flair walked away with the belt at the one end of one of the Raws, I forget what it was, and they were like. I guess it's gone now. What's going on? And I and I and the, the Intercontinental Championship belt is so prestigious to me personally. You have all these amazing people that wore that belt. Like if they were to merge that in the U.S. title, I I would cry. Like there's, I, I'm starting to get worried about what WWE is doing with the prestige because you look at like, uh, you look at what they say like, oh, it's the WWE World, which is a mouthful by the way, the WWE World Heavyweight Championship, but they're merging statistics together now. They're using 16-time World Championship with with Ric Flair, but like they're not really, you know what I mean? Like they're skewing stats now, and I think someone as a fan watching is doesn't know that they're they're oblivious to it. But someone like us that knows the stats and knows the the titles won and and how. They, they failed to mention, which is another topic altogether, Chris Benoit, you know, only two people have won out of first number one position in the Royal Rumble, and they, they said two people have won it. They don't talk about the other guy. Uh, but, like, you know, they there, there's a lot of weird things that WWE is doing with the WCW brand that I feel a little awkward about, and I want to get your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, first of all, anytime you split the titles, it's going to screw up the history. It's an unfortunate thing. I'm glad they unified the titles. Uh, but to me, it's so absurd. I have this conversation with friends of mine all the time. Of uh, I'm the 12-time champion. I'm the 15-time champion. Well, that means you lost your belt all the time, motherfucker. And I'm, <laughs> I'm not impressed. Because you know what? I was the AWA tag team champion of the world for several years. And it maybe to some people it would sound more impressive to be a five-time champion. And I could have lost it and won it as many times as I wanted. But to me, it's more impressive that I was a one-time champion and never lost a thing. And it's sitting right next to me as I do this podcast, a championship that goes back to 1957, the original tag team championship, world championship in pro wrestling. Check the NWA bylaws. They didn't have a world tag team title till the 90s. All their tag titles were regional titles. But so the, the point is, is that WWE, they don't even understand their own history, okay? So if you ask someone in WWE, what is the intercontinental title? They don't know. 
I just hung out with the first ever Intercontinental Champion, a longtime friend of mine, and and I grew up with him as a friend of the family. He's the first Intercontinental Champion. I don't think he knows what it is. And the Intercontinental title is very simple. Pat Patterson was the North American Champion. Mm-hmm. In theory, he went down to Rio de Janeiro. We know it didn't happen, but he's going down there for a tournament to crown the South American Champion. He wins the tournament. And since he was already the North American champion and he won the South American title, he's now the Intercontinental yep, yep. champion. Uh, ask some writer on Raw if he knows what the Intercontinental Championship means. He has no fucking idea. That's true. I mean, I, I feel like with even the American, it, like I, I remember all the – the thing is when you talk about titles, like I feel like the one thing that WCW did really well was they had – multiple titles and I, I felt like like I said earlier it gave the mint card or something to fight for like remember we had the te- television championship for the WCW and you, you had the it was they didn't call I guess they called it the cruiserweight championship and then you had like different divisions within that and then I just feel like it gives people kind of more of something to fight for because not everyone's going to get that chance to you know be in the WWE championship or whatever and 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 I I don't know like I feel I have mixed feelings on it it only works though if there's a logical ladder and even if you take the championships out of the equation, pro wrestling only works if there's a logical ladder and that the fans understand where a guy is on the ladder, whether he's on the top or the bottom or the middle, and that beating a certain guy now means that you're at a certain level. And if you're an American, you should have to win the United States Championship to move up the rankings for the Intercontinental Championship, and you should have to win the Intercontinental Championship to move up the rankings for the the World Heavyweight Championship. They've removed all the context of everything. And now nothing means anything, and everybody beats everybody, and nobody cares. Well, I think, you know, I want to get your thoughts on John Cena real quick. Because um, the guy, you know, he, he started off Ohio Valley Wrestling, and, and, you know, he worked his way up. and He worked his ass off, you know, to get where he is, and, you know, the whole thugonomics and his character changing over the years. And, you know, he's done a lot for the sport, for the business, you know, opening up fans to younger audiences, and obviously the PGR has helped with that. Uh, but I feel like, you know, he's he's been the face for WWE for so long now. But you also see, too, there was a, a meme that uh, was on Facebook uh, about it's been two years today that uh, as we're taping this uh, January 26, 2016, two years today that CM Punk has been gone. Right. His last match uh, for, uh, was the Royal Rumble two years ago. And in that time frame, Cena has gotten serious three serious injuries within the last two years so it makes me wonder you know he's been 16 times or 15 times i don't remember how many championships he's won uh but like i almost feel like you know there's gonna be a point now where wwe doesn't really have that replacement and i think that's gonna hurt the business a little bit not having like a huge you know face uh of, in the crowd so like i i feel like if you were wwe i'm gonna put you here for a second uh on the spot what would you do once cena's gone like what what you know do you think they're doing a good job of setting up for the next big face of the company no they're doing a horrible job they need to completely overhaul the mentality this is the problem in wwe okay and you can go very logically in order and figure out what the problem is you go back to wrestlemania 20 And in a short span of time, whether it's a year before or a couple years after, but in a short span of time, you lose Stone Cold Steve Austin, you lose The Rock, you lose Goldberg, you lose Brock Lesnar. And Vince McMahon makes a conscious decision. I've told this story before. Vince McMahon makes a conscious decision that, you know what, my whole life, whether it was Hulk Hogan or anyone else, either holding me, go back to the days of Bruno and Zabisco, of guys holding him up for money, or having him by the balls because they're the main attraction. 
And he's decided, you know what? Fuck it. ECW's gone. WCW's gone. I'm not going to have main attractions anymore. WWE is the star now. And this way, nobody's got me by the balls. And so he made a conscious decision to have a limit on how high you could go. Pretty much with the exception of John Cena, who had shown such loyalty uh, that, okay, well, other than Cena, we're going to have a limit to how high you can go. Now, the only problem is that Cena wasn't over and was booed in every big moment. Yes, some cheered him, the women and the children. But in every big moment, he was booed. And so if you go from the John Cena era, when he beats JBL for the WWE Championship at WrestleMania 21, all the way till now, TV ratings have completely fallen off a cliff. Pay-per-view buys fell off a cliff to such a degree that they had to pull themselves off pay-per-view and go to the network and, and change the price from $60 to $10. Attendance is down. Everything in the John Cena era was down. So because of that, when WrestleMania rolls around, now this was Vince McMahon's grandmaster plan to make it so that the wrestlers had no leverage because nobody was bigger than the brand. And yet at WrestleMania every year, He's got to bring back Triple H or The Undertaker or throw millions of dollars at Brock Lesnar or millions of dollars at The Rock. If you're Brock Lesnar or The Rock, you have more leverage now than you had back then. If you had just said to Brock Lesnar, we're sorry, we'll give you a reduced schedule, we'll give you $2 million a year guaranteed, you won't have to work house shows, he's given him $5 million a year now to work 30 dates. So Vince McMahon's plan has completely backfired, and he's completely obliterated the future of the company. And every year for WrestleMania, they got to go back to what I call the Band-Aids. We're yeah. bleeding. We, ha we have no stars. we got to bring in the Band-Aids for WrestleMania. We make no new stars in the, in the process. And to me, WWE's future is very, very bleak because when the old generation doesn't put over the new generation, and the last time we saw that was when Hogan, Warrior, Flair, Savage didn't put over Bret, Shawn, whoever – the company almost went out of business. So we've already seen what happens when the new generation of the WWF doesn't beat the old generation. And we're seeing it again uh, because when Triple H or Brock Undertaker, uh, or, you know, they're not putting over the new guys. Ric Flair put over Sean. Sean didn't need that. Sean puts over Undertaker. Undertaker didn't need that. Undertaker put over Brock. Brock didn't need that. So we killed off three guys to make nobody. And now we have nobody. We just have our Band-Aids. And when the Band-Aids are too old, fellas, they're in trouble. Uh, I agree with I agree you. Everything you just said. Because yeah. that's what the only thing, the only promising thing, for me personally, from WWE is NXT. NXT's done a really great job of setting up the future. But the problem is, is that transitional period to when you're in NXT before you get into WWE. And not everyone goes over. You can't assume that your top guy in NXT is going to go over in, in WWE. You look at the Ascension, for example. They were the best, quote-unquote, best tag team, the hottest thing a tag team in NXT. And WWE literally mocked them. JBL came out with Ron Simmons and made a mockery of them. This was the, the hottest tag team in NXT. Like, they, they were going to be huge, you know. Doesn't necessarily you're, doesn't mean you're over. Even with and, 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 and the, that audience in full sale, and all my friends go to those tapings. I live in Winter Park. I live five ten minutes yeah. from full sale. Uh, the fans that go there is not representative of the general audience. Yep. And so that nerd audience is going to pop for things that the average fan's not going to pop for. And and I, to me personally, if I'm trying to if I'm truly trying to build future WWE superstars. I don't want to gauge who's over and not over in front of the same nerds every week. And that's nothing against the nerds because I'm a nerd too. But what's going to appeal to me or you 
or anyone else that's watched wrestling for 20 years and has seen tens of thousands of hours and probably thinks that, you know, Prince Devitt's the greatest thing that ever lived. I don't think the guy in Alabama who comes home from the factory and wants to drink a beer and watch Monday Night Raw, what gets over to him, what gets over to your, your, the majority of your audience is very, very different. And I honestly would rather have my developmental guys working towns that are representative of the real audience. And then we wouldn't have these guys who were like, oh, man, they're so over in NXT. Surely they'll be big stars on Raw. And then after two weeks, they're not over and you give up. And it's because what we're judging them by is so different from what they're going to be judged by when they're on Raw. The whole system is flawed. That's why when you say to me, what would you do to save WWE? Who's the next big star? It doesn't matter who the next big star is because the system in place does not allow for the creation of stars. Wow. It's already been a full hour. We know you got to go. you got time commitments here. But, like, we need to get you back on again because like, we didn't even touch – tip of the iceberg yeah. we tangented it we, we, yeah. so we're a conversational podcast and like and obviously we're all geeking out like this is what we do we talk about wrestling we love it and like i love your impact and your your feedback on what's going on in the industry from the inside since you've been literally in the ring and, and you know outside the ring and all that so let's let's get together and have you on again man because i know i yeah. know you got to go and it's already been a full hour but like time goes by like that you yeah. know how it is in the podcasting business it goes by so fast um how do people find you on the internet? How do they, how, how can people look you up? Look up your podcast and stuff. Very easy. I've got like probably the shortest website name you could ever have. You go to www.m.sl. You go there. You can find my Twitter, my Facebook, my YouTube, any of that stuff, my Instagram. M.sl has got everything you could possibly want to know about me. Awesome. We'll put a link of your uh, the link in the description of the audio of this podcast, so people can check it out on the on our page and whatnot. So we want to give you a big shout out. Thank you so much. I mean, yes, we, thank you. So, we got to so have much. you on again, man. Like yeah. this has been a blast. Yeah. I mean, it's an hour went by so fast. Like hey, we're just geeking out, but we want to have you on again. So we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to join us uh, on the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce. For sure, guys. Thanks for having me. Awesome, thank man. You, you have a great night. We'll talk to you soon. Later. See you, man. And of course, that was the amazing Mr. St. Laurent. And uh, definitely check out his website. Check out his podcast. The guy, I mean, he's got a brain for the business. He knows everything, it seems like. And he's got awesome feedback. Check out his awesome podcast with Jim Cornette and, and Kevin Sullivan. All these great guys. And definitely check them out. And tell them the happy hour with Johnny Deuce sent you. And of course, Deuce, how do people find us on the internet? You can find us on the internet at HH Podcast Show. Also, you can send us uh, questions for our mailbag episode. To our Gmail account, hhpodcastshow at gmail.com. And, of course, when you're putting it in the Twitter machine, there's not one, there's not two, but there's three ways you can hit us up. Hashtag, hashtag Happy Hour Podcast. Hashtag HHPodcastShow. And hashtag Deuce is on the loose. Later. See ya. And if you like the music that you heard on this episode of the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce, don't forget to check out our good friend Manic on SoundCloud. SoundCloud.com forward slash Manic Elite. Try to absorb 18, I'm at the peak of perfection Now I'm shooting for the stars like Lucas Trying to have a war against the fleet Bitch, you must be stupid, but that's the life of a gamer Plus a silent entertainer Mash your buttons, watch while I press Leaving the mess on the compression Now you know why I'm the best bow, bow, You're rocking with the best, and that's Ness And that's a new record And that's a new record And that's a new Coming from the heavens like the comic, call me Ansible. Single Goku the Dragon Ball Z's and no Bonsible. Hold on in my tank, the Triforce is what I'm rocking, bro. Enough to make this movement, so you know I gotta rock it. Yo.